Community Alliance with Family Farmers presents the Farmer's Beat podcast. That's B-E-E-T. Hi, my name is Grace Perry. I work at Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF. I am the host of these episodes where we hear directly from small family farmers throughout California, getting the real information and the stories behind the food we grow and eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat and share techniques farmer to farmer. We're in Colfax, California, visiting Stone's Throw Farm, an organic vegetable and flower farm serving Placer and Nevada counties in the Sierra Nevada foothills. My name is Brianna Eisenhut, and I am an owner and operator with my husband of Stone's Throw Farm in Colfax. Brianna and her husband, Stephen, started Stone's Throw Farm about seven years ago. But as Brianna shares, their interests in farming started at a young age and were influenced by some trailblazers in California agriculture. I started farming because... um, I grew up in an intentional community. It was five families, generally of five kids, of five people per family, and the goal was to be self-sustaining. So it was a huge, what I would now call a garden, but at the time felt like a farm. It just felt ginormous. And they were trying to do source crops, annual things, and then canning and preserving and raising all these kiddos together. And... It was a really meaningful group of people. It was people that started the Eco Farming Conference. They had a publication at the time around organics and um, farm worker environments, just like, was it safe to be having crew people out in untested or even tested, but not really in that, like, what does that do to your fertility and your genetics and your, all that kind of stuff. So kind of organizing around some of the farm worker Cesar Chavez issues. They had a publication. This was my parents, um, Amigo and Kalita Contesano, lived on that community with us. And so, you know, it was a meaningful time in farm and organic and consumer and field worker transitions. And I sort of also came out of that with a sense of like, you can't really do this. It's really hard. It's expensive. It's... Uh, just a hustle and a drag out of like everything you've got. You've got to market, you've got to grow, you've got to plan, you've got to hire a crew. And so I always had the sense that like it's impossible. And my husband, Stephen, grew up in the Central Valley doing monocropping more of in a traditional way. And when we met, we realized like we've been spending so much time running away from this thing and we're both spending our weekends going home to do manual labor because (laughs) it feels so good to build something or dig something. So when we met, Stephen was like, we're on our third date, I think. And he was like, this is really going well. I really like you, but you should know I'm going to abandon this city life and go back to be a farmer. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going with you. (laughs) So that was the beginning. We, We came up and found this eventually and kind of took a leap of faith with each other and with this sort of secret passion. And um, yeah, it was the birth of Stone's Throw. It was like looking into each other's eyes, like maybe together we can overcome these hurdles and like be farmers together. (laughs) And so far, so good. Even though her return to farming was unplanned, you can hear Brianna's passion for farming as she describes her favorite part. I love the markers of the seasons and living outside. I 
have always been an outdoor person. And so when farming, that's what I love the most is like spending the winter really like senescing your own energy and making a plan and like reserving this, these sugars and starches and all this beautiful stuff in your like seed charting and your seed purchasing and your sort of energetically like gearing up with this like burst of energy and then it's like go time and it's like everything blasts and there's this abundance of green and then it's so hot you almost want to die but the tomatoes and peppers are coming on and then like finally it's over and they finally all die and you go into fall and like have cold hardier plants that are just creeping along and making their little fruits or flowers or what have you and and the whole time you get to be outside you get to be outside and then lately of course fire season is just like this whole other element and um, you know, watching and observing. We always do field walks with the intention of seeing, like, what are these changes, like heat temperature or increased daylight? What are they doing to our weed pressure? What are they doing to our seed loads and our weeds that are on our perimeters? And what are our pests doing? What are our plants doing? And I really love that. And then, of course, feeding myself fresh vegetables every day is not a problem either. <laughs> Brianna tells us about the unique landscape of Stone's Throw Farm which has some advantages and disadvantages for growing food. I think we're at like 2,500 foot elevation. So pretty high up in the foothills of the Sierras. And we have this really unique topography where most of the farm land here are in former creek or former river valley beds where the sedimentation created flatlands between, you know, in the in the canyons essentially of waterways and we're on a ridge top so we have this real gift of extended daylight hours where people are waiting for the sun to rise up over a hilltop near them we are fairly level with our sunrise hilltop and then we're above our sunset horizon line i guess is how you would describe that and that's been a real gift. It also sometimes really stresses me out because I feel like I should be really seizing the cheese on that. But that's sometimes hard to do. We're, we're still in some ways just teenage farmers in you know f- year five or season five. We have this ridge top, which is a, a gift of hours and of sunlight, but we lose all of our, you know, the rain really rolls a lot of our nutrient and organic matter and all sorts of things off the ridge in the winter. So we're struggling with some of that lately, but the, and then because we have such high clay content in the foothills, we also have compaction problems just because that rainwater really rolls hard and erodes hard and then it just bakes. But we have the farms in cultivation this year. And some of that is cover crop, about two acres of this is cover crop, but we have about five acres of potential farmable land and then we're just surrounded the rest of this parcel or this property is wooded so pine tree oak tree you know sierra foothills forest so it's much more land to manage than actually to cultivate stones throw farm specializes in diverse vegetable production along with cut flowers and you pick fruit brianna shares how their production has shifted in recent years including the impact of the coronavirus pandemic we Came out of, let's see, 19, having done, I had so many varietals in the field. I really love growing flowers. And because we had, I was just doing it. And then Stephen was sort of more heavy on the vegetable operation. I hadn't really effectively communicated what I was doing. We ended up having a lot of competition for labor. 
so we we where I would need it and he would need it and we'd be like well mine's really temperature sensitive so I need everybody in the morning our mine's really we came out of 2019 realizing we had to make some shifts and I needed to kind of rein in my compulsion to just sew a bazillion things because they looked interesting or I wanted to try them again or I wanted to try them a little differently so we had decided to really winnow down the footprint of the flowers to what I really knew and loved and simplify. And then with coronavirus, we really reassessed everything. Yeah, last year was really a year of like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And I realized that we were sort of spending a lot of time weeding and finagling these little beautiful flowers that then weren't. We were, because we don't only do direct to consumer or through the farmer's market or through our online store and we weren't doing the value added of like arrangements for weddings or events, we weren't getting the return we needed. So we had already sort of decided to really go down to like doing a prime, like a sunflower zinnia, dahlia, ranunculus with a little accompaniment and streamline. And then coronavirus happened and we just did vegetables last year with the exception of the dahlias that I had decided to try to perennialize slightly anyways and then they grew so we had those for sale but other than that we really didn't do flowers and did vegetables so this year we're bringing black flowers people really wanted them and to my surprise in hindsight total not surprise people really wanted to have flowers in their homes and have that beauty inside and have that contact with like this like experience of nature the farm sells through multiple markets wholesale, farmer's market, an online store, and a CSA program, which present challenges and opportunities for their family. We have um, a farm, farmer's market stand, which requires us to have eight to 14 varietals at any one time, just to keep that farm stand looking really lush and abundant. And then we started a CSA last year, which we're doing again. And that also requires to have about eight to 12 things at any one given time to keep those boxes varied and interesting. But we also have wholesale contracts that are taking up a lot of the 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 bed feet of salad mix and cut greens like arugula, and so we have competing interests. Where soil real estate is um, got you know there's like higher bidders and lower bidders for what gets what, and that's kind of been an interesting reanalysis in this what are we doing and why questioning period is like. Would it be easier for our family with small children to actually back away from the direct-to-consumer that demands this higher varietal growing style to more wholesale? And so that's a little bit what we're looking at this year. The farmer's market is on Saturday, which is the sixth day of the week for Stephen or I, and it's really hard and it's really hot and it's really stressful because all your tender greens are just sitting out, like out of the refrigerator for hours. Looking at their markets a bit differently, Brianna dives into the financial value of each. This question is always interesting from, so who do we sell to and how much goes where is always a question for me of the dollar value or the like weight value of the crop. So a third of our monetary sales go to the farmer's market and a growing amount is going to the wholesale account through Briar Patch, which is cut and bagged greens. Uh, we do bulk bin and we also do bagged. My, I'm gunning for that bulk bin because I just hate all that plastic bag. It really drives me crazy. But people love it, so it's hard to convince them to bring their own bag and bag themselves up. But the other growing account is wholesale through Tahoe Food Hub, which is its own distributor. And I would say that last year, about a third of the crops went to Briar Patch 
and then split between the rest was Tahoe Food Hub and um, CSA. CSA was also augmented by an online market, so you could pick up your box, but you could also add on eggs or flowers or a bulk buy of tomatoes or a bulk buy of pickling cucumbers or what have you. So not exclusively CSA, but also that online market was accounted for the rest. We're here to learn about the pack house at Stone's Throw Farm. As Brianna shares, an intense weather event destroyed their original structure and led to the construction of their new and improved pack house. The little backstory to the pack shed 1.0 was that we just put wooden posts in the ground. We screwed bows, like hoop house bows, to them over the top. We stretched canvas and then had put down like 18 inches of wood chip just to suppress dust. And we put little things on pallets whenever we could. And we leveled with two by four and cinder blocks. I mean, it was, it's baby farmer or new farmer stuff where you don't have a lot of means to do it and you just wrangle whatever materials you can find. That pack shed served us really well. And there were certainly problems, but it held its integrity. And then in the fall of 2018 or was it the beginning of 2019? I can't really remember, but it was like December, January. It rained and then it, the temperature dropped really low. It was like 27, 26 degrees. And the rain froze on the top of the canvas and then it snowed like six inches. And the weight of the snow flipped all, I mean, it collapsed the bows. So all of them inverted and smashed everything below them, um, which included our modified washing machine spinners our washing station, our tables, which were all at the time made of wood and plywood tops or wood and mesh wire top. And everything was just gone. Like our flower stem lopper was like smashed into a L shape. I mean, it was incredible, the damage. And the one surviving thing was the Polaris, which is a little electric kind of golf cart vehicle. And by the grace of some sort of guardian angels, it just drove right out of there. <laughs> Everything else was gone. And of course, you know, we're under six feet of six inches of snow. And so it was getting out of there anything that was recoverable, turning off all the electrical, the refrigerators, the coolers were fortunately under more of a firm structure that was on the back. It was just like a little animal um, barn, like one of those prefab three-walled things that you would put a, a, a goat in or something. They'd been out of use for like 15 years before we got here, but they were still standing. So the coolers survived as well. And But we had needed to unplug them. We needed to get all the food out of there. It was a mess, and it was really terrifying, but also a gift because it allowed us to re-examine what our goals were with the pack shed, what we were trying to achieve, what we needed to be closer to achieving and um, while the time of year was really awful because it just rained and rained and rained and rained and we needed to pour concrete, we needed to sink posts and that project just went on for way too long. I mean, I don't think we really wrapped up that pack shed rebuild until the end of June into July of that following year, but it was great. We really spent some time trying to figure out how to do it to solve problems we'd been having and then rise to the level of being more intentional space that incorporated the knowledge that we had acquired through workshops and through reading and conversation and questions. Through a series of Craigslist finds and fortuitous equipment purchases, Stones Throw Farm now uses stainless steel equipment in their pack house, an upgrade from their previous supplies made from wood. 
Brianna shares their most prized pieces of equipment and why they matter for reducing on-farm food safety risks. Just using Craigslist, we found stainless steel tables that were from a Jamba Juice that was being ripped out. And the guy was essentially would have paid us to come get them. It was a, a bit of a wait. And I just spent until the pack shed was really done. We, I just waited. I knew they were going to happen. I'd seen them come up before and we didn't have the, the ability to go get them. We have more than we need stainless steel tables that are really easy to sanitize. They're really easy to move equipment around on. They're lovely to, to you know, they stay cold. They, you know, you can wipe the surfaces and if a little salad mix falls out of a bag, you can just pick it up and put it, you know, back. It's just, they're, they're like such a relief from the sort of polyurethane plywood top tables we had been working with. And then my other treasured item is that we sprung for... Uh, salad mix spinners, like industrial grade. And they are have been immensely problematic, but they really dry. The greens, they really dry. The microgreens, they really dry. Like whatever you put in there, you can put heads of lettuce in there, which turned out to bruise them too much, but for our own personal use. They just spin, they spin in this nice way and things are dry. So when you put them in a bag, you don't have that condensation buildup. You don't have the mucky moo at the bottom of the crate if you get to the last bin of the day and it's kind of swampy down there. We don't have that effect anymore, which is just like, I'm a worrier by nature. I'm also a contingency planner. So I'm always ready for like the worst. And that had been an ongoing worry for me is that pooling of the condensation of the more wet greens that we were getting with the modified washing machines. And then that they would drip down to the bottom of the bin and then it's just sitting there. That's been like just due to stress relief maybe it has been. Those machines are really my prized babies. <laughs> I was looking for something called a greens machine and I don't even know if those are still being made um, Stephen and I have, we sprung for a couple of farm courses. I did, gave, he gave me Florette's workshop and I gave him Never Sink Farm um, Market Gardener course. And they had on there, I, you know, sometimes in the background you can see more of the pack shed and I would pause and like zoom in and look. And in somewhere in there, they had a discussion of this thing called a greens machine, which I'd never even heard of. But they're mostly designed for restaurants who are doing like a lot of mix or greens and um they just looked more like they have a stainless steel drop in that you can properly sanitize it's like the inside of the spinner is all sealed clean you know stainless steel the little peg that you drop the basket on same um so we can just spray it with our sanitate flip them upside down dry them out really good while we're not using them and it just feels right like it just it feels a little more streamlined for me as far as like taking a product from from the field to a packaged state is just having a really clean space. So I was looking for that. I couldn't find it. And we ended up buying the Electrolux salad mix spinners. We received one and it had an earwig in the starter and it wouldn't start. And so they sent us another one, which they didn't realize was a refurbished one. And when we got it, we were like, this doesn't look new. And they were like, we're so sorry, we're going to send you another one. So they sent us they sent us three for the price of one, essentially. And we brought the other two down to like an, an industrial appliance mechanic or whatever you would call them. And he fixed the other two for us for like a couple hundred bucks. So kind of a win. I, we would never have bought three of them because they're really expensive, but they are lovely. They're really, they really work. They really spin, spin out like 
all the moisture, sometimes a little too aggressively. Another game changer for Stone's Throw was adding a well-stocked hand-washing station to a highly trafficked area, leading to greater use among their crew. So putting in like a really um, user-friendly hand-washing station. So it, the way our pack shed works is that everything comes in dirty, including the human. So the greens come in on one side and they sort of go through like a horseshoe from like where it's where a dirty bin is sitting then a clean bin shouldn't go sit there. So hand washing station and the bubbler and the tanks for washing and then the spinners and then, you know, to the left of that is like all the bagging and the weighing and the binning. And we just put a hand washing station. Everybody walks right by it. There's no excuse not to use it. It's really easy. So we bought proper soap dispensers and we buy hand soap in bulk and we have paper towel dispenser because we were trying really hard to have, you know, multiple use rags, but then they would all be dirty and people would just grab one out of the dirty because they needed to drive their, I mean, little things that just don't actually work about having a rag you're washing between uses. It just, it's just too much to track. So we have paper towel, a garbage bin, and then it goes straight into production. So if you're walking into the pack shed, you're walking right by it. It's really easy to use. The farm's investment in food-grade plastic bins and a reliable hose nozzle have also improved efficiencies and food safety. We have moved our bins from, like we, we purchased uh, food-grade plastic bins for storage and delivery. And then we bought sort of the cheapo harvest bins that they're only sitting in there for just a minute. Um, and then we invested in like a proper hose nozzle that can blast off you know, organic material, chunky stuff off of our equipment or our storage bins. And it seems so simple, but it's a lot to wrap your mind around in the beginning is like... Over the years, Brianna switched from loosely using bleach and soap to clean their tools and equipment to investing in a product that works well for their operation and reliably removes microorganisms from surfaces. She shares candidly about their old method and how they adapted for greater peace of mind and lower food safety risks. Asked other farmers what they were doing and people were mixing like a little bit of bleach and dish soap together and then scrubbing their bins and then hosing them off. And like, I never thought to ask like, what is that actually, what chemical concoction are you making when you do that? And is it doing its job? So, so we were scrub we were doing a great job we were scrubbing off all the chunky stuff we were rinsing them off we were leaving them out in the sun to dry but like we weren't actually sanitizing them properly and we we were making like a weird soap bleach swamp to mix you know I don't even know what that was <laughs> um so I had an opportunity to like take a look at that and decided to invest in a product called Sanidate which does a great job it doesn't get everything under the sun but it does you know it it ha happens to also kill coronavirus if it's that down. So it was like a win-win. And then really took a look at like, it needs to have a scrub that you are getting the chunky stuff off and then it has needs to be sanitized and that sanitation material, whatever it is, needs to sit on the bin and be left there. So we have a whole process of like sanitizing bins in the morning first thing before while someone else is headed out to harvest so that those are properly sitting and getting sanitized before they're getting filled. Um, we use it in our tubs, we spray down our equipment and our tables with it, and it just feels really nice. It's simple, it's straightforward. Everybody knows the protocol because it's clear. It's not like, put a squeeze of dish soap and a couple drops of bleach and you'll leave, <laughs> you know. It's, um, so those I feel like are the big, is the not only the pack shed as a, as a physical structure, but the protocols inside of it. It was like time to grow up a little bit and take more responsibility 
and move closer towards the goal, which is like, don't hurt anybody through negligence or ignorance around uh, what you're doing. And also it's really easy to create blind spots in what you're doing. So the hand washing, we always had that, but it was like way down in Bonkersville. So no one ever went down there. I wash my hands a lot. And so I was doing it, but I wasn't really watching to see that everyone else was doing it. And the new pack shed really gave us an opportunity to take a look at our blind spots, the ergonomics of our flow in the pack shed. Um, Cause you also shouldn't be hauling a bin across the pack shed to the refrigerator. It should be right there. Like the end of the process should be right in front of the cooler. And then also just like, are people actually washing their hands? And if not, why? Um, so that was a good, it was like, you know, the protocols and the, and the structure itself have had a total overhaul. As Brianna and Steven spend this year reevaluating and honing their priorities, Brianna reflects on some of their original intentions. We spent our first year doing the UC Extension business course, and they really, or maybe we took out of that, like having a mission statement to really encapsulate what it was that our intention was. Because I do think you kind of crystallize in your vision, whereas you come in and the world is just like an oyster and you could do anything. As you get into the grind, you're like, I'm, I'm like singularly capable of thinking about salad mix. Whatever it is, it sort of winnows down. And in our initial mission statement, we really wanted to provide the opportunity for people to come here and experience their food, how it's grown, see it, know us, and then experience the property, which is really also re- unique and interesting. It has a really unique and interesting history. And so we're trying to get back to that. The last couple of years and last last year is kind of a a throwaway on this, but creating opportunities for people to come out and be here. So we've had a lot of the local schools come for totally unfarm related things. Their photo class comes out, their drawing class comes out, and even though they're not here to like l- learn about food or farming, they're like taking pictures of heads of lettuce in the field or like buds of ranunculus or whatever it is and it's it that even that is like exactly what we were thinking you know it's not you don't have to come out and take a workshop on composting and then also just having people come through the airbnb and come walk around and buy some berries or just talk to us um and so we're trying to figure out ways that we could do more like you know with wanting to take care of my own mental health and my capacity to deal with adding more operations to what we're doing here, like having people come out for picnics or have people come out for a pizza truck. I don't know what it is, but we're just trying to reincorporate that original mission, which was to give people access to spaces like this and operations like this and their source of their food. That's, I get that's the one other thing that I think I often forget because it's easy to forget. Head to CAF's YouTube channel to watch a video of Brianna showing us around their upgraded pack house. You can find the link in our show notes. CAF is a nonprofit organization that has been helping small farmers across California with technical assistance and policy advocacy since 1978. If you're curious about things you learned in this episode, head over to our show notes at calf.org slash farmersbeat. That's B-E-E-T, where we have links, resources, and photographs. Be sure to check out Stones Throw Farm on Instagram at Stones Throw Farm CA and share this episode with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at calf underscore fam farms to stay up to date on when new episodes are released and see more pictures from the farms featured in this podcast. 
This podcast would not exist without the funding from the California Specialty Crops Small and Medium Scale Farm Food Safety Technical Assistance Program, made possible by the United States Department of Agriculture. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of CAF and do not necessarily represent the official views of the USDA. We thank them for their support of this work and helping real farmers share their food safety tips to other farmers. Are you a farmer interested in being on a future podcast episode or have a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at thefarmersbeat at calf.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from CAF, sharing farm fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.